What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Padalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode, Short Term Rentals with Tony J. Robinson. Hey guys, so we're excited to bring Tony on the podcast today. He's got some really good knowledge and he's going to talk about a topic that we really haven't brought a lot of guests on to talk about. So um, I know it's a topic that we are, I personally have been super interested in learning about because I think there's a huge opportunity um, to generate strong returns as an investor. So Tony, welcome. And we'd love to hear a little bit about you and your, your backstory. Yeah, Jimmy Frank, thanks thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, excited to be here. Um, I guess a, a little bit about myself. Uh, first, I'm also a podcast host, uh, co-host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Show. Um, so lo- love my gig over there with BP. Uh, but outside of that, I'm a I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, based here in Southern California, born and raised here my whole life. Uh, but we have investments um, in Louisiana and Tennessee, and then we've got quite a few here in Southern California as well. Um, spread between both long-term and short-term rentals. Um, and I, I guess just one one kind of interesting fact about me is that uh, we didn't buy our first investment property until October 2019. Oh, wow. and, uh, since then, we've done, uh, we, we purchased four properties in Louisiana. Uh, then we've purchased another 10 short-term rentals in the last year. So it's been a it's been a busy uh, like year and a half for us. <laughs> yeah, li- literally off to the races, right? Yeah. Now, did yeah. you guys have any like real estate investing knowledge prior to that? Like you thought about it for a long time and then dove in or was it just trial by fire? Um, I mean, definitely no like direct experience beforehand. Uh, my dad dabbled in real estate throughout my life. Um, I, I'd say he was about a he was a, a full time real estate investor for about five years. Um, so five years leading up to 2008, 2009. Um, he was working and, uh, he was living in, in Southern California, but he had pretty much like a wholesale business, kind of a wholesale turnkey business where yep. he was setting up investors in California with, you know, cash flowing properties in Detroit, um, had a really good business going 2008 happens and he kind of loses a shirt there. And the thing he always told me was that he probably would have been, you know, a multimillionaire had he just kept some of those properties and not wholesaled all of them to other people. So yeah. for me growing up, I heard a lot that, Hey, you know, if, if you really want to build wealth. Um, you've got to have cash flow in real estate. Um, I always so go was, back always to kind of back in the mind. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I always go back to golf. So I'm a terrible golfer. I played a ton of baseball growing up. So like baseball swing and golf swing are so dramatically different. But the age of old saying golf is you drive for show and you putt for dough. So like wholesaling and flipping is driving for show. Like it looks cool. It's flashy. It's sexy. But where you really make your money is that putting for dough and holding those long-term rentals or short-term rentals where it generates that monthly cash flow. Right. And honestly, I think it's got to be a balance of both. Right. And and it depends on what your goals are. Right. Like if if you're in a W-2 and you want to get out of your W-2 as fast as you can, I would say start wholesaling or start flipping. Right. Because it's probably going to take you a while to replace your income if you're trying to get long term rentals. Um, So I I think it's it's finding ways to get those big chunks of cash while also building up your your opportunity to have long term cash flows. There you go. Yeah. A lot of people call it the chunker strategy. So, yeah. 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 The, The chunker. Yeah. Oh, I've that, never heard that before. You get, oh, it's more of an East uh, a New England thing. Uh, we have a few okay. a few people that speak about it, and you're just getting chunks of money on those deals versus getting the long term cash flow mm-hmm. of doing uh, buy and hold. Yep. Yeah. So the chunker method, right? So you're going to take those chunks and then hopefully, like the chunk from the wholesale deal or flip, and roll it into a hold. Exactly. Exactly. And th- and that's what we're doing in our business right now. So we've got um, one flip right now that's active in Joshua Tree, and once that closes. 
we're using the proceeds for that to buy a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. So that's kind of our our strategy right now. I, I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hit you up after for a link for to your Airbnb <laughs> rentals because they sound pretty dope. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. Um. So what did the first deal look like? Right. So you guys make the actively make the decision. All right, we're gonna we're gonna dive in the deep end and, and get after this. What does the first mm-hmm. one look like? And yeah, where do you, you know, start? My- yeah, my, my first deal, it was an out-of-state investment. So like I said, I'm based here in Southern California. We're about 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles. And I bought my first uh, real estate investment in the city of Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, most people probably haven't heard of Shreveport. It's like the third biggest city behind New Orleans and, and Baton Rouge. But I had family that moved out there. And uh, while visiting some family, you know, every real estate investor probably opens up Zillow once or twice in whatever city they travel to. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I start looking at the prices, say, hey, it's much cheaper here than it is in California. And what really kind of spurred me into action was that I found a local credit union that was willing to lend 100% of the purchase price and the rehab on a deal if I found one that met their criteria. And basically what it was is I had to make sure that the purchase and the rehab were no more than I think like 72% of the after repair value. That's um, awesome. And I, and I knew that it worked because my mom, she was the family that I had out in Louisiana. She yep. did that when she moved out there. So her and my stepdad, they, they left California when they were retired. They found this old house in, in Louisiana. They got it fixed up. And by the time they were done, they put zero money into the deal. And they had like, I don't know, like $50,000 in equity still after the refinance happened. So uh, once now I saw you, them now you're speaking that, my love language here, man. Right? <laughs> you got you so, get an asset well, that you have $0 into and it's, it's it, cash flowing, right? That's the exactly. name of the game. And for me, it was, it was a really low risk way to get started. I think so many investors, they have that fear of just like messing up and losing a ton of money. And in my mind, it's like the most I'm, I'm going to be out is, you know, whatever my, you know, utilities costs are over yeah. the cost of like holding this, whatever it is. Right. So it was a really low risk way for me to get started. So anyway, we, we ended up finding a house. Um, I think we bought it for a hundred grand, put another like 55 into it and it appraised for 230. Uh, we got a long term tenant in there paying about like 1500 bucks a month. So, I mean, I, I wasn't making a killing. I think like after my property management fees, I was clearing like 150 bucks a month. But it, it was like proof of concept for me that Definitely. I did have what it takes to become a real estate investor. Plus, you said you're in for like zero, right? And you're in for zero, right? So there, there's very little downside. I love that. I, I need to find some more of those. In our area, it's become <laughs> tougher and tougher. So we've started looking outside of our local area to start to chase those opportunities. Right. Um, so I think what you really touch on there is finding the right financing. And I think that's what a lot of people overlook. They just go to the first person that'll offer them financing and see if it works or build up to it. Um, I think, I mean, even kind of where we're at now, because we've been actively flipping houses for a couple of years here. um, I know that I have hard money lenders that actively reach out because they're scouring um, all the deals that are closing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, our lenders still offering us incredibly favorable financing, but it's always important to kind of go back and like take those phone calls to see what somebody else can offer. Because if you can continuously improve your financing, or if you have too many deals going, you have another option, like that's the name of the game. Always trying to get better. Yeah. But here, here's, what, here's what I will say, right? Because we talked to a lot of rookies on our podcast too. And I think there's got to be, you got to find that balance too, right? Because yep. some people, they'll get so focused on trying to find the perfect lender but they'll never oh, even find yeah. the deal, right? They're, 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 yeah, they, no, never, no. they never even get started. So you right. got to find that balance of, okay, doing your due diligence, but also knowing when it's time to, to finally take that step and move forward. 100%. 100%. So you get set up in your first one and you're cash flowing, you're up and running. How do you transition to the short-term rental business? So I was, uh, you know, I was working a W-2 job. 
Um, you know, I, I was making a pretty healthy salary, had a large team. I was a senior manager. Um, and when I did the math at $150 per door to try and replace my income, it was going to take me forever. Right. So I, I knew yeah. there had to be a better route. I've been and there. When I, yep. Yeah. Right. When, when I yep. first got started in real estate investing, I knew that um, playing in the traditional single family, long-term rental space was only temporary. My initial goal when I got started was to get into apartment syndication. I read the book, you know, the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless before I even bought I think we know investment it. property. So that was the book that kind of laid the foundation on how I wanted to get started. Like I wanted to become uh, an apartment syndicator, but like the very first thing that Joe talked about in that book was you need a track record, right? You need to have some proof that you know what you're doing in the world of real estate investing. And he said he got started by doing some single family stuff. I said, okay, cool. Let me do that too. So we, we, we knock out a couple of single family deals in Louisiana. We turn our attention to uh, apartments. Uh, so me and a couple other guys that I'm friends with, and we just have like the worst time trying to find good deals, right? Like the, the world yep. of apartment syndication, uh, finding the good deals that typically go to the experienced operators first. And then whoever's yep. left over, they get kind of the, the deals that don't pencil out. So we spent, I don't know, maybe, maybe six months uh, trying to work different brokers and find the deals, but it, it just wasn't happening. Yep. And one of my partners, he, um, he says, Hey guys, you know, I'm actually just going to kind of give up on the apartment syndication thing. I just found this cabin in the smoky mountains that I think is going to do really, really well for me. So he goes out there, he buys one. Um, and then me and the other partner, we just kind of follow suit. So we'd never been to Tennessee before. Um, I didn't even really know like where the smoky mountains was on, on the map. Right. But I had this friend <laughs> that went out there, he bought a cabin. So me and my other partner, um, sight unseen, we put offering on a cabin. Um, offer gets accepted. That was in August of, of 2020. And like I said, since then, we've, we've purchased uh, 10 properties that we plan to use short-term rentals. So what does like the due diligence look like? So when you guys pick the Smoky Mountain region and you're working to identify what makes sense, like where do you guys start? Are you starting on a pro forma basis to try to crunch the numbers? Are you looking for a property mm -hmm. manager? Like what are the pieces that you have to line up to be able yeah. to confidently make that decision? So there, there's a couple of things to look at, right? There's the market and then there's the actual property, the actual asset. Got I can tell you what we look for in markets. Um, and this is going to vary wildly from person to person. But what we look yeah, yeah. for, absolutely, we like to invest in actual vacation rental markets, right? Like Got it. we don't own anything in Los Angeles, even though we're you know a, a short drive from there. We're not going to buy anything in San Francisco. We're not going to buy anything in New York City. Those are major metros where there's so much economic activity outside of travel and tourism yep. that I feel that you don't have the competitive advantage being in that market. Where right. we invest in the Smoky Mountains, there's no university. There's no like big, you know, business headquarters, like the main economic driver in those cities. We invest in the Smoky Mountains and we invest in Joshua Tree. The main economic driver in those cities is people coming, vacationing, uh, spending time in the national parks, right? They're hanging out, getting good food. Like they're there for vacation. That's a primary focus. We like those markets because typically A, you can charge more. Yep. B, there's a really solid infrastructure built around for cleaners, handymen, all these trades people that you need. And then C, there's in my mind, a little less risk when it comes to the regulations, because if you were to turn off or severely limit short-term rentals in a place like Joshua Tree or a place like the Smoky Mountains, you're going to have a huge negative economic impact on everyone that lives there because that's their livelihood, right? Like the cleaners that we work with, they full-time, all they do is clean Airbnbs. The handymen that so we that work with, 
full-time, all they do is work on Airbnb. So that's what we look for in a market. And then I'll, I'll pause there and then we can talk about the properties afterwards. Yeah, no, that's, that's super important. So like, I, so one local example that we have is Newport, Rhode Island. So Newport, Rhode Island is known for the tennis hall of fame and yachting and, you know, anything that's bougie and rich, right? Like it's, it's, it's a pretty affluent area. Right. Um, but I know that uh, like at one point, uh, my company had managed uh, Airbnb down there and we absolutely killed it for the owner. So on a rental that they would typically get $1,200 per month as like a mm-hmm. monthly rental, um, we were able to, to generate between eight and $10,000 a month in Airbnb gross revenue, right? Easy. Incredible. It was at like the, the owners are floored. We were happy because rather than making a hundred bucks a month, we're making 30% of that. Um, it was a win-win for everybody. We're all making more money together. And then the city of Newport came and cracked down because there were a bunch of hotels, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a factor in the analysis of, are you guys like looking at hotels in the area versus Airbnbs? I know like I'm a millennial. You look like a millennial, right? Like we're all kind of <laughs> the same age range. I would rather stay in an Airbnb than a hotel, to be honest. And typically they're pretty similarly priced. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, so like, we, we also live close to Disneyland, right? I'm like yep. 20 minutes away from Disneyland and all of the hotels around Disneyland, they have a monopoly on the short-term stay. So you can't even yep. open up an Airbnb in the city of Anaheim or Disneyland is because all the hotels have lobbied enough to, to outlaw that's it. that. So yep. like in the markets that we're in, again, it's such a, it, it's such a, I don't know, like a vacation friendly place that like, right. if you drive into Joshua Tree, there's no Hilton there's no Marriott's, there's no, you know, all these other, like most people are either camping or they're staying at an Airbnb when they go into that market. And then Perfect. in the Smoky Mountains, there's just such a high demand for stays that the, the hotels can keep up with the, with the demand if they wanted to. So I, I think we've kind of hedged our bets in that way as well as we look for places where there's, again, from a, a regulation standpoint, um, there's an appreciation of folks who are these short-term rental operators. One so quick like- question with okay. the um, Smoky Mountain area. That first, uh, you had you have two partners on, on a lot of deals. That first partner, did he have any experience there? Was he already been boots on the ground a few times? What was what made that spot special compared to like picking like um, the Great Salt Lakes of Utah or there's mm-hmm. other vacation spots sure. that are close to you and everything else? Yeah, so, so just to clarify, like our, my, our team right now is me, my wife, and my wife's cousin. The three of us are like the, the main ones that, that run of our short-term rentals. Um, none of us had any experience in the vacation rental space before we got started. But what drew us to the Smoky Mountains, That's honestly, um, was uh, – so Avery Carl, she was a guest on one of the Bigger Pockets podcasts uh, a couple of years ago. She was an agent and an investor in the Smoky Mountains. And she gave this really great story of how her and her husband were able to achieve financial freedom by investing in this market. And when you do a little bit of additional research on the Smoky Mountains, you quickly find out why so many people are making a killing there. It is the number one most visited national park in the United States by far. Right. Oh, I think last time, last time I checked, Smoky Mountains was number one. And if you added up number two, number three, and number four in terms of visitation, you still wouldn't get to where the Smoky Mountains were. Wow. So okay. there's just a huge level of demand for folks going into that region, finding these short-term rental stays. So that, that's what kind of drew us there. So Frank, Frank kind of, our, head, our minds are headed in the same direction, right? So my question was going to be, is there an online resource or was it somewhere that you like to travel where, you know, you it kind of merged, right? You met somebody that had already kind of done the research and you thought it was a good mm-hmm. idea and then figure out the numbers. But I yeah. guess like what I'm hearing, if I had to, if, if I'm listening and trying to actively 
like come come back is that you could probably use some type of travel guide and figure out mm -hmm. some popular travel destination where there's an established Airbnb market. So you're not competing against the hotels. I mean, I guess in my mind, I'm kind of thinking like, I've always thought about buying a vacation rental up in New Hampshire, which Frank recently accomplished. Um, because that's like from Rhode Island or Boston, Massachusetts, like that's a short hop for most folks to go away on a weekend because the, weekend Cape, trip. Yep. the Cape Cod market is very established versus New Hampshire. I feel like the, uh, there's more inventory that's actively traded. Um, and then honestly, like my perspective from going through COVID, I think that people may be less likely to jump on an airplane and maybe more likely to jump in the car and go to that Airbnb and, and, and stay in a single family right? It may be safer for their families with all the COVID concerns. Totally. And I think that's why the Smoky Mountains did so well is because where it's located, we get a lot of people coming from Florida. We get people coming from like on the, you know, on the upper sides of the East coast from New York coming all the way down. So it was a, it was a drivable trip for a lot of folks during COVID as well. So I think that that helped a ton, but in terms of like resources that people can use, if you're trying to analyze a short-term rental market or analyze a specific property. Um, there's two websites that I use. One is called AirDNA. Um, that gives you really good kind of market level insight. Um, and then I also use a, a website called Price Labs. They have these markets dashboards where you can get really good insight on, uh, on the market as well. So between those two resources, you can get a pretty good feel for um, how much you can plan to make with the property in, in any given market is is air D, air dna is that a is that a paid site they both are yeah okay, and yeah. both of them are are kind of tricky you got to pay by the markets that's what I thought, <laughs> instead yeah. of just like one specific subscription so it can't but be I, a bit pricey but the i hear they're good. really good though so yeah. yeah they're worth it if you if that's what you want to do absolutely i'm I, if you guys you guys saw me i'm writing them down <laughs> this is like honestly this is this is where my head's at i, I think honestly just based on the the state of our current market like where we live locally um i think that airbnbs there's there's a ton of room to to um i can't remember the woman's name it was a uh that, avery, that carl. You, avery carl um yeah. i mean it, she hit the nail on the head like how do you build passive income and maybe you go mm -hmm. live in the smoky mountains to self-manage your airbnbs if you get to that point right like yeah. uh, i mean it, it's still so early i think uh, in the world of like short-term rental investing, yeah. like when Airbnb first started, it was people renting out spare bedrooms or their couches, right? But right. it's really yep. evolved since then into this this thing that's much much bigger. And I was actually just reading the other day that now you're starting to see these bigger institutional investors that are planning to move into the short-term rental space, which is new, right? Like before, it's just a bunch of mom and pop operators that were really doing this. And there was, I can't remember which, you know, which hedge fund or whoever it was, but they want to buy 15,000 Airbnbs over the next five years, right? And as you see this more institutional money start pouring into the world of short-term rental investing, I think you're going to see probably the competition start to increase, right? Because now yep. you got people that are paying a little bit more, but you're also going to see the the, I think the supporting infrastructure for this type of investing come together as well. Like right now, your options to buy a short-term rental from a financing standpoint are pretty limited, right? Like there, right. there aren't very many companies that specialize in lending on short-term rentals. But if you go into the world of apartment syndication or buying big apartment complexes where there's tons of institutional money, there's this really strong infrastructure of how you get these things financed and you can get this non-recourse debt. So I think there's some good and some bad, but we're, my, my point is we're still really early. And I think if someone can get in right now where there's still a little bit less competition, five years from now, you'll be in a really good position. So honestly, that was a perfect segue to my next question. It's like, how are you financing these deals? Yeah. So there's um, 
there's a type of lending where you can purchase a second home um, and you can get more favorable financing than you would with a traditional investment property. Um, I'd say of all the properties we purchase, all but two, we've used a second home mortgage. Um, but essentially, you're able to buy uh, with 10% down. Um, you usually get an interest rate that's almost in lockstep with a primary home interest rate. Like our, our best interest rate on one of our short-term rentals right now, it's like 2.65%. Wow. Right? Which is, which it's is like crazy, free, free right? money, right? Right. Cheaper right. than inflation. <laughs> right. Jeez. So we, we use these second home mortgages. Now there are some limitations. Um, a is that it has to be in your personal name. So if you get, if you buy a second home, it's technically for personal use so you can't buy it with an LLC because an LLC is a business entity. So it has to be a personal name. Um, and you can't have more than one in the same market, right? So if That's I bought one, ah, in the city of, right. If I bought one in the city of Joshua tree, then my partner bought the second one in the city of Joshua tree. Fine. I bought one in the smoky mountains and my partner bought one in the city in the, in the smoky mountains. And then what we started to do from there is we partner with other investors where, um, they carry the mortgage. We kind of focus on the, the operation of the property. Um, and then we split the, the profits to come in that way. So that's how we've, we've been able to scale. Brilliant. Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, do you think at any point, um, you guys would maneuver the financing in the sense of, do you move it to like a 25% down product as the, as the market continues to move or as you have that proof of concept? Like will we, will we try and seek out financing where we have to put 25% down? Yeah. Would you guys shift? So rather than at, at some point you guys say, all right, we have enough partners or do you continue to raise the, the private money oh, to 10% down? Yeah, no, you're, you're reading my mind right now. So what we're, what we're focusing on now because we, you know, we obviously don't want to have a hundred different partners on all these deals. Like right. that can, that can become kind of overwhelming. So what our, what our focus has shifted to is two things. Um, first, we want to kind of leverage the Burr strategy. We're buying distressed properties. We're rehabbing them. We're able to pull out all of our capital. So we've got two properties. We're doing that right now in, uh, in Joshua Tree. So we'll continue to do that. Um, and then the other model is kind of taking my initial goal of becoming an apartment syndicator but melding that with the world of short-term rentals. So we've got a letter of intent out right now on a nine-unit hotel um, here in the city, like here in SoCal. It's a lake town um, that's not too far from us. And the goal is to kind of syndicate that property. Um, so we're, we're taking what we know with short-term rentals, with everything we learned about apartment syndication, putting those two together, and then we're, we're hopefully, you know, getting bigger deals done that way. Got it. Hey man, you got my interest. I love this. <laughs> if, you need, just, if you need it, if you need a ten percent down partner, call me after the show for sure. <laughs> I'm just quiet and thinking myself, so I'm with you. <laughs> um, on it, so honestly, there's actually Frank's partner with these folks on a deal, but there's a local um, uh, staging company, um, and home they've designers. been yeah, home designers. They've uh, they've been focused on this for quite a bit. And they've been like in my ear and probably in Frank's ear as, as well, telling us like, hey guys, look here. And, and honestly, my interest has been peaked uh, from speaking with them and now hearing from you. So uh, this has been incredible. Absolutely, guys. Glad I was able to, to provide some value for you. For sure. Definitely. So let's ask some questions that we always um, ask all of our guests. Uh, the first one is if uh, someone wants to become a better investor in what you're doing, what would you recommend? Yeah, I... I think there's a, a couple of things there, but I would say that the first thing is to get laser focused on one thing. Hell yeah. I think, I think a lot of times as real estate investors, you're, you're entrepreneurial in nature 
And a lot of times that means you've got the, sh the shiny object syndrome, right? Where you're, you're kind of chasing all these different things. Um, so my focus right now is how do we build the best short-term rental portfolio, right? And maybe once I achieve that goal, then I'll diversify into different asset classes, right? Where maybe I, I, I like, I love the idea of self-storage, right? I love the idea of maybe yep. like an RV park or something like that. But right now it's short-term rentals, building that portfolio, maybe using a little bit of like flipping along the way to help build some more cash reserves. But my, my one thing right now is short-term rentals. So I think if someone wants to be a better real estate investor, it's, you know, identify what that one thing is for you and really hone in on that. So I got to, I got to make a joke here, right? So during COVID, I interviewed on a bunch of podcasts and my girlfriend would always make fun of me, right? Because it sounds like when you're saying one thing, you're talking about Gary Keller's one thing. That's mm -hmm. what I was thinking too. I am huge on uh, Michael McCallowitz. Um, yeah, I, I love that book. Plan. So I, I'd be I like, just one, one pumpkin, just one oh, pumpkin. Okay. So she always, she always jokes with me. So um, I hear you loud and clear, man. I think it's super important. Like find the strategy and just work towards that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. So uh, next question. What is uh, one book that you've read lately and you consider it a must read? Yeah. So actually, Mike Michalowicz also, he's got a book called Profit First. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, and I read that one earlier this year and it just really changed my whole perspective on how we've, how we've been managing the cash flow for our, our short-term rentals. So it's, you know, it, it's kind of taking like the Dave Ramsey envelope system, but updating it and modernizing it for the modern day entrepreneur. So love that book, Profit First by, by Mike Michalowicz. And just to give him one more shout out, one of the books that I read by him recently as well is Fix This Next. And it's like this Maslow's hierarchy of entrepreneurship. And it was incredibly informative. Okay. I got to add, add that one to the list, man. I, I love Mike Michalowicz. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so last question, we'll throw you for a curveball. Uh, what do you want to be grow up? And what that means is, you know, five or 10 years from now, where do you see you and your business? Yeah. I mean, I, I think for, for myself, like the, the ultimate goal, this is where I get to the point where we have seven figure passive cash flow, Hell right? Yeah. Where our portfolio is big enough where, you know, not active work where I'm not, you know, I'm not flipping, I'm not wholesaling, but just like the, the passive income from our short-term rentals, from our long-term rentals, we're at seven figures annually. So that's the goal. That's what I've got them. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing down my goals and my little Evernote every morning, like that's what I'm writing down. So that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm moving towards. Good stuff, man. So um, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to follow you on social media, shoot you a note? How can somebody reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can contact me on, on IG. I'm pretty active there. So it's at Tony J Robinson. Uh, my wife and I have a YouTube channel where we talk about all the shenanigans nice, on our short-term rentals. So that's the Real Estate Robinsons on YouTube, the Real Estate Robinsons. Then nice. um, obviously you can check us out uh, at alphageekcapital.com. That's our, our website where we partner with folks on short-term rentals, Alpha Geek Capital. Um, and then last, obviously, the Bigger Podcast Real Estate Rookie Podcast. So lots of options for folks, um, but I'm, I'm everywhere right now. Love that, man. Good stuff. So to our listeners, we, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in listen to this episode um we hope that you enjoyed this for this episode of the cashflow kings podcast in between episodes check out our website thecashflowkings.com or follow our daily content on instagram under the handle the cashflow kings cheers to your success the cashflow kings programmers for basic entertainment purposes only we do not give official legal tax or investment advice <laughs>